virtual podcast, Go Crows! Woo! The internet's only Smallville podcast. Yes, that's right, Sean is with us today. And also there is me, Vry, and Dorothy is here. Yes, we need a careful balance of one person who is really into the show, one person who's into comics, and one person who is just being subjected to <laughs> Who this. is also here. <laughs> I am also here. <laughs> It's okay, Vry. It's okay. This is new and weird for most of the listeners, too. <laughs> I mean, I don't know how I didn't watch Smallville. It feels like I should have been part of the Target demo, but I don't know. I guess I was a little bit too young when it started. I think Were you I was... allowed to watch the CW? I didn't. I wasn't. It wasn't that I was disallowed so much as that I was really late finally agreeing to watch things that were not cartoons. When's that going to happen? <laughs> Any day now. Well, here's the question. How into Supernatural are you currently? None. Yeah, so then you're definitely super not the target demographic. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I was 11 when this premiered, and then by the time I was watching The Nanny on Lifetime at like 13, it was getting into the dodgier seasons. No, that's only two seasons. No, no, they're right. No, no, it gets dodgy around season five, four or five. <laughs> My way's let's funnier. Keep the, let's keep the timeline clear. <laughs> Fair enough. This is still the good part of the show. And like, I didn't get into cape books until I was like 18, 19, at which point its reputation was a thoroughly tarnished. Although weirdly, I was a big fan of of the first Tobey Maguire Spider-Man. So again, I should have been the target demo. Spider-Man doesn't count as a cape. He doesn't wear a cape. Also, I'm so sorry. That movie is charming. I will still stand up for it. And Willem Dafoe is a delight. Fine. So Fine. But if you defend the second one, we're throwing hands. Alfred Molina's a good Doc Ock. I said it. He's not the best Doc Ock because Spider-Verse exists now, but... Okay, he is a good Doc Ock, but, but that's not, not a good, good movie. movie. We're gonna get so many emails. <laughs> oh yes, every day I get emails. <sighs> Actually, we suffer. Put a pin in that because we're gonna want to talk about it at the end of the episode. That's true. Yeah. So, in case you are joining us on episode three of our sometimes podcast, for some reason, welcome. Every comic book podcast is somebody's first. Uh, we cover. Three episodes of Smallville at a time, which means we are now on episodes five through seven of season one of Smallville, which is ahem, cool, hourglass, and craving, which I know brings them instantly to mind because Smallville has very memorable episode titles. I can see what they were trying to do with the single word titles, but they just don't work because half the time there's a better word they could have picked. But they're saving the fancy words. Mm -hmm. uh, look, they can't all be Hannibal. Hannibal had the decency to have a theme with its pretentious titles. So Lex Luthor should eat people? Yes. I mean, I feel like Lex Luthor and Hannibal would get along. Uh-huh. Things had turned dodgy, though, when Lex Luthor decided to try and eat mm -hmm. Clark. Or when Hannibal decided to try and eat Clark. Why would, Hannibal, why, why would Hannibal try to eat Clark? He's because a very Clark polite is rude. Young man. Okay. Well, fair enough. Are we talking about this Clark? Because this Clark sucks. 
I feel like Jonathan Kent would be on the menu first, though. Oh, absolutely. Uh Uh-huh. He's rude as hell. Doing a favor. (laughs) This is a favor to a friend. (laughs) All right, so our Smallville podcast is slightly more segment-based than literally anything else we do on this channel. I guess it's a channel. (laughs) So before we dive into anything, let's start by giving folks a little brush up, like a 10-second recap on what the basic plot of each of our three episodes is uh do we want to do popcorn when one of us for each or yeah sure whatever works uh cool go uh cool is the exciting story of a date rapist who finds a new way to suck the life out of women he he's a dude who freezes women mm-hmm. the end but i'll you know also there's a subplot with chloe <laughs> I like Chloe. I wish I could like Chloe. It's not the character's fault. It's not, but... Alright, and then we have Hourglass, or what is apparently becoming a trend of, we get one good episode. (laughs) Oh god, you left me with the crap one? That's not fair. (laughs) You can do the good one if you want. Go. Alright, fine. So Hourglass is, uh, there is an old lady who can see your future, and... Her name is Cassandra. Of course it is. And she fle- she freaks Clark out with her predictions, at- but ultimately Lex Luthor's future is so bad that it literally kills her. You've completely forgot that there's a serial killer. A de-aged serial killer. Can you blame me? <laughs> and then there is Craving. Which is fat shaming the episode, but it stars real Lois Lane, I guess. <laughs> yep, it was bad it's does just about everything bad you can do in a very special episode about eating disorders Mm -hmm. yeah like i wish i could summarize it any better than that but it's it's just fat shaming the episode like there's nothing to it all right well then keeping that in mind let's dial in a bit on our monsters of the week first we have the cold pyre date rapist uh who is played by michael Corestine. Who does not have a picture on IMDb. Always a good sign. It's trying to say a thing, I think. Badly. Yeah. So this dude is a creep. Mm-hmm. And a player. That's that's how it's framed. Is he's a player who uses girls. Chloe just wants to get boned. But yeah, Eric's a creep. They all go to a bonfire at the lake. And I guess it's cold now. Yeah, see, he almost dies by falling in the water, and there's kryptonite in the water, so I guess... So, irony. Uh-huh. So he becomes a heat-sucking vampire, like like the Velvets and Neverwhere. Mm-hmm. Or a trash version of... Or a trash version of Morbius from the uh, Spider-Man Saturday morning cartoon series. I didn't see any hand-suckers. <laughs> Would have been better. But I, there is also weird like it, it it is about predatory men but also the framing of its would-be victims is weird like with shower girl yeah yeah and and it also is framed as something that he has to have or he will die mm-hmm. he has to suck the life out of you um but yeah chloe is initially has hurt feelings because it seems like he's into her and then he's he's hitting on other girls this saddens her he finds a girl and 
I am unclear as to the sequence of events here, because he does not seem able to control his predatory urges. But she takes him home, lights a million candles, Mm -hmm. steps into the shower without him, and then he comes in and freezes her to death while she's naked. Right, like, she just... Seem, a, seems to live at home with her parents, and B, decided to do the, oh, come join me in the shower ploy. Like, but also, they haven't fucked before the shower. Uh-huh. Oh, uh, and then he just leaves her there in a pile of gibbets. Yep. But we don't see the gibbets, because the show can't afford it. Um, meanwhile, Clark is being just the worst. At dating. Oh, okay, good Good thing you put at dating on the end there, or it would just be every other episode. <laughs> Clark is usually the worst, yes. Um, this is the episode, it, well, I guess we should move on to the next monster. Yes, uh, so our next monster is, like you said, a de-aged serial killer because, I don't know, Kryptonite does whatever the episode needs it to do. Yeah, just literally a de-aged serial killer who resents his, who, he resented his former teacher of the piano for writing a letter of recommendation for somebody else, which I don't know if he knows that you can write more than one of those. So he didn't get into the Metropolis Conservatory of Music, so he's been big mad about it and murdered his former teacher's son, and now he wants to murder everybody who is related to anyone on the jury that convicted him of a crime that, again, he did commit. Oh, he did quite commit it, yes. But he resents them all from stealing his future. And it's... Lana is not very good at elder care. It's so, it's very odd because it's. And there's these two different plots that are just mashed in there. Mm-hmm. And it's very reliant on what are the rules of this de-aging. It seems to last exactly as long as the conflict needs it to. <laughs> so that nobody, and, and then nobody will believe him. Now, are we counting Cassandra as, uh, as an also ran in the monster category? Because she is technically a kryptonite freak as well. See, there's the thing. I didn't want to use the term freak of the week because that's what the actual show creators called these people. But yes, Cassandra, shockingly, the reason she is blind and psychic is because she was looking at the meteors when they came down. But she doesn't really do much. And it's a shame that they couldn't think of a way to bring her back. No, she's very dead. Extremely dead. And then you have Amy Adams. Yeah, so then you have Lois Lane, and when I say Lois Lane, I mean Lois Lane in the new stuff, not Lois Lane in Smallville. Yeah. <laughs> Who is a cruel and unrepented monster for being, what was it, 165 pounds. They put her in the most heinous fat suit. It's one of those fat suits that doesn't even remotely conform to, like, how a person carries their weight on their body. Mm-hmm. Like, the way the body is shaped doesn't match the way the neck and face are shaped. Right, she's Fat got- suits are generally terrible, but this is, like, over the top. She has, like, an exceptionally thick neck, and then just, like, sort of average, l- larger end of straight-sizing kind of curves. Yeah, look, she weighs less than I do. Yeah, the aging up makeup in Back to the Future was better than this. And I mean in Back to the Future 3. Well, and it wants to be a message about how eating disorder's bad. Except... She's a literal monster that's killing people. Uh Uh-huh. Well, and also, there's no sense of 
the episode totally cuts her off from all of the reasons that that eating disorders happen. Like, all of her friends, it's, except for the one... O- she has an eating disorder because she's fat. It's right. It's recursive. Well, there's one comically evil, one one comically evil bully, but also like her dad's like, I don't, I don't think you should be doing this, honey. And her friends are all, are all like, oh, we like you the way you are. And, and Pete really wants to date her. Mm-hmm. So, but, it, you know, she's, she's drinking milkshakes with kryptonite in them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it just creates this sense of like, ah, oh, can you believe if she had just liked herself a little more in total defiance of all the the microaggressive everyday things that, that lead a person to have low self-esteem and she, an eating disorder. She wouldn't have become a binge-eating, fat-sucking vampire. Mm-hmm. I she do is. think that this episode could be pretty triggering to a lot of people. Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. Because it leans really heavily on a lot of imagery of binge eating. Mm-hmm. So it's effective, but I don't think it's good. Oh, and also she's a monster because she wants to get back at the dudes who made fun of her. You know. So it's also a hot revenge story because, fuck it, this wasn't terrible enough. You know, we had the, I had this segment a little later in the show last time, but I think it, it's a little more fitting if I move it up. As long as we're talking about monsters... We might as well talk about the, the, the serial numbers that are filed off. Because, <laughs> my god, does this show like to steal liberally from other from, from other more famous works? <laughs> no, this is very original. <laughs> I, I mean, other than heat vampires generally, I guess we can give episode five kind of, kind of a write-off. But it's just kind of any supernatural mm-hmm. it's very, creepy guy. It's very Buffy feeling, I mean. Hmm. Like, early season one Buffy. But to be fair, that was almost everything at the time. time. But then we have The Dead Zone and Thinner, respectively. Well, but it's The Dead Zone plus Cocoon. It's like if the people in Cocoon were also murderers. Well, that's true. The thing that makes them, them, he can get younger, does come from space, and Cocoon was aliens. Yeah, and, and it's in the swimming pool, and in this case, it's in the pond. Yeah, okay, I'll give it that. It's Cocoon. <laughs> Which, I mean, is something. It feels so... It's a weird story to try to tell in twenty in half of your episode. Effectively 20 minutes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because we've got this, you know, pulse-pounding, will-he-kill-the-nice-waitress the at, at the diner. Yeah, I don't remember what that place is called either. Yeah, because it's not the, the coffee shop that that happens later on mm-hmm. and on the other hand you've got this weird subplot where clark's really thinking about how mutations operate and where lex is you know having thoughts about what destiny is and it just is a big old mess which is weird because like the constituent parts are are interesting mm-hmm. yeah if it if it had a little more space to breathe it wouldn't be the worst cocoon but murder is not the worst idea (laughs) well i will contend that for me personally uh this episode does have one of the best scenes in the entire series if only the series had lived up to it yeah yeah there's a surreal dream sequence that is a great and Mm -hmm. i think we'll talk about that with Mm -hmm. and that's terrible Uh uh-huh yeah and i you know a small speaking of buffy i will say a small moment uh, of of 
silence for the amazing prop fire in episode five, which is adorable. <laughs> the tiny little frozen fire, which didn't go out, it turned to ice. Yes, yes. He, the dude who can freeze fire. Amazing. Mm-hmm. It, it freezes into like a little solid flame. It's precious. And the honestly, the, the props people on this show do their best. <clears throat> Now, I'm no physicist, but I'm just going to assume that's what cold fusion is, and the the ice-cold fire is like a nuclear reactor. <laughs> yeah, that seems fine. By the way, uh, Cassandra Carver is played by Jackie Burroughs, who is quite a uh, famous figure, or was. She's passed away since, uh, in the horror world. She was in a bunch of stuff. Well, and she was also in the dead zone. Yeah, right. Hence the casting gag. Craving is just thinner. Uh-huh. It's thinner. It's thinner. That's not true. She wasn't she wasn't cursed by by a woman that she denied alone to. That's true. And I don't think the guy in Thinner had the power to vampire fat from other people to live. <laughs> Which is I don't no, he know. Was an they asshole. had to do that he because he probably would have enjoyed that. Like I guess they had to do that so Clark could have a monster to fight. Okay, but the the Fright Night jaw unhinging. It 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 looks somewhere between Fright Night and just that last shot of Angela from uh-huh. sleep, Sleepaway Camp. <laughs> <laughs> How much better would it have been if they just had Amy Adams do the the Angela face? <laughs> I don't think you can put Dick on TV. I don't know. There are a lot of dicks in this show. That's oh. true. That's true. Looking at you, Jonathan Kent. Yeah, I suppose that brings us up to a section that there wasn't time for last week, which is lessons from Pa Kent. (laughs) Which is all the important things that the moral center of Smallville has to teach us. Not the heart of the show, but the moral center. The moral center. Mm -hmm. Uh, This time around, Pa Kent's lesson is about how destiny is totally bullshit, actually. But also, we should judge this guy and not be friends with him because he's definitely going to be bad eventually. Mm -hmm. And also, psychic powers are bullshit, uh, you know, in relation to your alien son and all the monsters he fights. Prophecies, though. Don't trust that, son. (laughs) Hermione, (laughs) you need to chill. (laughs) These are the important lessons that he has to teach us. Never trust a woman, son. Mm. Uh, Don't, do not forget, always take out loans when you're a farmer. Don't rely on government subsidies or people who want to invest. Yes, oh my god, what the fuck? (laughs) I don't. How do you not know how your own business operates? I I don't know. How do you not know the difference between an investment and a loan? It's not small town enough, Sean. This is not wholesome. He he takes no government subsidies. He doesn't take an investment and instead he takes a loan. Why? The subsidies and the investment don't necessarily have to be paid back. Something something bootstraps. Right, forgot about that. Mm Mm-hmm. So named because it's a very possible feat. Haha, <laughs> feat. Oh. <laughs> and as Dorothy alluded to, if Pa Kent is the moral center of the show, then the heart of the show is Lana, who I still don't hate. 
Do you hate her a little bit more since she lost an entire old person? I mean, that was pretty bad. I mean, it's not really fair to judge it on this because the one episode is the best Lana, like, ever gets in the series. She does suck at elder care. Like, what was your plan? You d- you left him in the middle of the bridge. You left him there. Yeah, she she just misplaces an entire elderly serial killer. Yep. And he, is... he toddles off to become young and do murders again. But, like, she's still allowed to volunteer uh-huh. at the elder care place. It's fine. The local sheriff is fond of her. <laughs> but it's weird that she's not, I mean, it's not weird. It's just a little contrived. She's not really the focus of this set of episodes because it's about very limply how Chloe kind of has a crush on Clark also. Yeah. Gotta get those triangles. I hate. As though there was not already a triangle. Mm. Mm. See, Lana's relationship to Clark and Lex is so much funnier if you just assume that she thinks Clark is gay. It's so much funnier if you assume that she thinks Clark is her gay bestie and is unaware that Lex is in fact her gay bestie. She has a gay bestie right there and she's ignoring him. (laughs) This rich resource. Extremely rich. Mm -hmm. It's okay. She taps that later. Yep. And then he fakes a pregnancy. He's so, he's so good at swooping in with the exact right thing and being a weird invasive wingman. I just like the scene where she tells him all about how Whitney is going to take her to the museum in Metropolis in a few days. And he's like, "Uh uh-huh, believe that when I see it. Sits down to have a coffee in the background of the shot, just obtrusively watching as Whitney walks in and tells her that he's not actually taking her to the museum because there's a UFC fight or whatever on Uh pay-per-view. And somehow that coffee magically morphs into tea so he can sip it. (laughs) (laughs) It's pretty impressive, honestly. And then he just so happens to have Radiohead tickets to to give to Clark to ask Chloe out. Which he then fucks up. Which Clark then fucks up. I know it's a staple of superhero stuff, but I really... It it feels so, so thin in this case because, like, he could have explained to her. Right. If anyone would understand that this town is full of dangerous guys who abduct girls, it would be her. Mm-hmm. Like, she would be so understanding of, of the fact that maybe Chloe's in danger. Right. You don't even but have instead, to. instead, Clark just blows her off and vanishes. Yeah. It, like, the reason we have all these contrivances is supposedly... I have to protect you from people who would target you. But this is not a concerted organization of recurring villains. It's just a town where some weird shit happens. Yeah, this is not as thought out as the evil organization and Alex Mack who are after her. Wow. Comparing it unfavorably to Alex Mack, that's a burn. She actually knew there were people after her. He didn't even have to mention the super na- the, the fact that he had to do the punchings. He just had to be like, man, some weird shit happened. And also, I was there with my friend who got hurt. Yeah, he ah. just totally blows off this date because he puts two and two together upon hearing that Sean the Cold Man reduced a girl to, you know, bloody chunks and concludes that clearly Chloe is about to be murdered at school right now. Mm-hmm. He's correct, but... I mean, he's right, but that's a hell of a leap. (laughs) Well, you know, he can leap tall buildings. (laughs) He can leap plot points at a single bound. (laughs) My god, a plot hole. (sighs) 
No problem. Okay, but can we talk about the driver? The the most unappreciated man in the episode. Oh my god. A hero. Because following the leaping of plot holes and all of the fuckery, the poor driver is still on hand in that damn limo. He's getting paid. Yeah, Lex lent an entire limo to them so that they could go to this Radiohead show, which we do not see nor hear one bar of Radiohead. Nope. And this driver is just stuck sitting outside a coffee shop in Smallville. Again, getting paid triple overtime, I assume, for his weird boss who wants you to ferry around some teenagers. That's the real reason. That's far from the worst thing, but I hope he brought a book with him because you know he's not able to use his phone for dick. Mm Mm-hmm. Because it's 2000. Yep. You know, we get on Lex a lot. In fact, our entire segment for him is, and that's terrible. But truly, the end that's terrible thing is his weird matchmaking schemes for the teenagers in his life. That's weird, man. It's weird. (laughs) It's weird and, like, it's more healthy than the fact that you clearly want to date this teenager. Don't do that. Yes, let's dismiss that. Uh Uh-huh. Just gonna be such a good bro. Ooh, such a bro. But he also seems to genuinely... Because he thinks Clark hung the moon. Mm -hmm. He seems to genuinely think that Clark is a better choice for Chloe as well. Yeah. No, no, none of of this is is Lex being creepy. He's just trying to repay Clark for saving his life. (sighs) Yeah, sure. Let's go with that. (laughs) That's what the show seems to think it's implying. (laughs) Adorable. And, And by giving his parents a loan... Which is framed in the most spooky, terrifying angles and lighting possible. I heard your farm had deaths. some financial problems. I would like to offer my services. Lightning cracks outside. <laughs> and it really is just. It's just what he's doing by all accounts because we have established over the past few episodes that he doesn't have any greater pull with his dad's company. <laughs> no, in fact, his dad kind of treats him like a total butt monkey. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that doesn't change. No, it does not. <laughs> the show so clearly wants us to assume that he is ceding this influence for malign purpose. But everything we know about the show up to this point doesn't really bear that out. Have we moved into that's terrible? It is terrible. (laughs) But yeah, Lex, like, offers to basically prop up Clark's family farm. And as an explanation to, because he brings receipts in order to make sure that that they will have no reason to say no to him. The receipts he brings are the revelation to Jonathan that, by the way, did you know that your dad claimed subsidies? <sighs> You're a farmer in America. I hope you claim subsidies. Right, the fact that Jonathan is not claiming subsidies is shocking. You may be bad at your job, sir. <laughs> Get the government no, to pay you not to grow a little in With that corn. subsidies... It's supposed to help you if you are bad at your job. But he's so bad at it, he's not even doing that. Just that American heartland versus big business. Except that he wants to go to the bank and mortgage the farm. Which he does. 
Just to be spiteful. Yep. Because I, I want to bring my family into financial ruin. It's fine. When Lex specifically told him it was an investment. Right, not, not a loan. Because loan. loans get paid back. If you go bankrupt, you still owe the people that you took a loan from. If you fail when someone invested, sucks to suck. But I mean, in, in Pa Kent's defense, Lex is so evil that he kills a woman just by touching her. Uh-huh. In it's the best part of these three episodes. Possibly the best series of images in the series. I, oh, dear. I, re I really want to see the show that those images go with. Right? Because oh, that's no. not the future we end up with. Oh. <laughs> oh. Yeah, Lex uh, touches Cassandra without his gloves on. You know, he brings her flowers and very respectfully asks her to touch him and tell him his future. Because he's been grappling with the idea of destiny versus and personal choice. As usual, he's acting the hell out of basically everyone else in the show. In a very silly scene where he's asking someone pretending to, to not see him to please put his hand put their hand on his hand. But only after pretending for a while that he totally doesn't care about this. And just wants some stock tips, man. And it's this honestly very nicely put together hallucinogenic sequence that has very unified symbolism. Mm -hmm. Well, it also has a lot of references to classic portrayals of evil President Luther with the white suit and the single glove over the hand that's been crippled from wearing the kryptonite ring for years. Yeah, we see him Like, in I the thought Oval they were office, great touches. And then a field of sunflowers dies and the sky starts raining blood. And don't get the idea that this looks expensive. No, no, not at all. Like, they clearly just have somebody sprinkling a bucket on Rosenbaum. But, but like, we're B-movie people. As long as as long as the intent is coming together, but like the symbolic system and what they're saying comes through really clearly. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's not that it's not their fault that their computer graphics look like the old nineteen ninety five Mist boot up. Ooh, ooh, yep. And we come back from this, and of course, the the thrust of this episode is that she's very shocked that Clark can see the things she does because nobody else can, and Lex cannot. And he asks her what she sees. She's already gone. <laughs> because he killed a woman with his terrible future. <laughs> Clark uh, saw the world as an endless graveyard with the names of his friends inscribed on tombstones that surround him, by the way. Yep. There's a lot of rain of sorrow. Yeah, that doesn't come to pass either. <laughs> okay. I don't really have anything to say about craving. No, except that it sucks and is also bad, and he doesn't. He's not really in it. He's not really. No, I'm just trying to make. Oh, sure I that... super have something to say about craving. Skip it. Yeah, yeah. You could literally skip craving, and nothing and should be lost. Especially because, again, I think it could be really triggering. Mm-hmm. And it's not. And there's no like redeeming. Oh, but it's so good. It's really not. Like I even, I even like Amy Adams. Like she's certainly extremely pigeonholed as an actor, but I think that she is charming at what she does, and she's not good in this. Is she pigeonholed? She she tends to, I feel like following Enchanted, she tends to play that very plucky kind of... I think the first thing I really watched her in was American Hustle, mm. which might have been her, like, breakaway role from that. 
so. Would make sense, yeah. Good, what, like, a decade later? Mm. She did, like, sunshine cleaning and... Yeah. Yeah. And then a a very wholesome kind of Lois Lane. Like, Margot Kidder, she is not. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's probably the most interesting thing about the episode, and that's retroactive. Mm -hmm. Like, that you can go... Oh, neat, Lois Lane's in it. Casting gag. Oh, wait, no, it's not. It's just a coincidence. It became a casting gag. Mm-hmm. Which, although, I mean, speaking of casting gags, I feel increasingly bad for Clark's mom, who is just stuck with the shittiest men on Earth and trying to clean up their message- messes because she spends the entire episode trying to be like, maybe we should take this deal because our house is going to be in foreclosure if we don't get our shit together, honey. Well- well, it's later revealed that she, like, comes from a well-off family in Metropolis that, like, is full of lawyers and she was in pre-law before she met him and stuff. And besides, she ends up fine. She ends up no longer she married to married Jonathan to Kent and married to a billionaire. That's good. I'm happy so, for her. Fry, um, what billionaires have we met on this show? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so... What you're saying is that this series turns into Marmalade Boy. <laughs> a bit, a bit. <laughs> That's dark and depressing. <laughs> I take a great joy in assembling the boombox for this episode, but I actually had a little bit of trouble with this one because the subtitles were not helping me out and neither was the wiki, but I... So I missed at least three or four of the extremely early 2000s songs that were going on during these episodes. But the ones I did catch included <clears throat> Jewels or Am I Standing Still? 5-4 uh, f- uh, by, uh, or May 4th, I can't remember. I can never remember how that one is pronounced. By the Gorillas. That's right. We've got Gorillas. Dido by Slide. Innocent by Fuel, and to top it off, Hero by Enrique Iglesias. <laughs> Iglesias, excuse me. That's right. Can I be your hero, baby? No, no, he doesn't ask. He just says he can. You're right. Yeah, he comes to a bad end in that music video. Well, that episode came to a bad end, too, so it's fine. <laughs> Oh yeah, way to narrow it down. That episode came to a that bad end. That is how end. we That's close like most craving is with Enrique Iglesias's hero. <laughs> I will. It's burned into my brain meats. It's really bad. <sighs> Since we've got you this week, Sean, you mentioned the President Luther stuff. But are there any other beats of deepest lore that Smallville fans should know from the comics that are in these episodes? I honestly, I really didn't pick up on anything except the President Luther thing. Like, I really wish that that there was more to it, but, like, the the best comics reference that I could come up with is, you know, the guy from Cold really, really reminds me of Morbius, particularly the version of him they did in Saturday Morning, Saturday Morning Spider-Man on Fox, which was really quite cool because Spider-Man couldn't punch people and they still had to make it compelling. I mean, if we were to pick a DC villain that he he's similar to, I feel like he's he is very similar to Parasite. See, but the unfortunate problem is, is that 
they keep reusing that over and over. Oh yeah, they know? use Parasite every five minutes because he's one of the few people that can temporarily knock out Superman. Yeah, I mean, because you get the fat-sucking power and the, the heat-sucking power, and those are both sort of Parasite. And there'll be more in the future. Oh, that's... And the socialism power, that's also Parasite. Ooh, the power of socialism. A, a lot of people have used Parasite as an example of um, of the entitled lower classes expecting something for nothing and a handout oh. and a drain on our systems. And Well, I don't like that. Yeah. I don't like that at all. Yeah, Parasite is one of those unfortunate uh, types of villains that a lot of people just grab because he can knock out Superman for a minute. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I much preferred Parasite when um, when they used him as a uh, an addiction allegory in the Superman animated series. That was a pretty good version of Parasite. Good stuff. I gotta say, I'm kind of disappointed in this run of episodes. Like. Hourglass was good, but yeah. Hourglass the was like pretty... half a good episode. Because like the, the serial killer stuff is fun in theory, but didn't really have enough time to build up steam to be especially wacky. Yeah. I feel like it could have used more time to actually do that. Mm -hmm. And then like Cold is a lower tier episode of Buffy and Craving is bad. Yeah. <laughs> it's really bad. Yeah. Cold, I honestly was more invested in the high school drama mm -hmm. than in- Well, Cold- Cold could have been good if it had if it had bothered to put some teeth behind it and really focus on the predatory nature of those kind those kinds of men in in high school situations and they just didn't. Well, yeah, because they're too busy being invested, like extremely sincerely, in nice guy Clark. But, but yeah, but you could have made Clark at least look nicer by being like, look, an actual date rapist, and let's call him that. An extremely low bar that most shows of this ilk can clear, and yet. Do they, though? I don't think I've ever seen any of these shows actually call somebody a date rapist. No. No, they really don't. <laughs> just... Nope, they're all just fine young men. Honestly, this is one of those episodes- This even involves a swimming pool. Mm-hmm. And it's so insulting to, to, to cis men, like, they just can't control- those urges to be horrible monstrous rapists to but we can it. have a little bit of fun we can do some speculating if you like yeah remember how they defeat the villain of cold uh they drop him in a lake and refreeze him oh right i'm and sure where's the lake back. located on the luther mansion property uh-huh it never comes back <laughs> and he never comes back so does that mean that lex just swept that up for clark Fuck, I guess I got an eternally frozen lake with a rapist in it. <laughs> I bet I bet Lex practices his figure skating that regularly. I was gonna... But you know what? Lex is the kind of man who would have some figure skating lessons on the side. Ice dancing. Mm -hmm. Well, he's sure as hell not practicing hockey. No. This is not a hockey guy. He's not a team player. We need to load him up with every single extremely physically demanding sport that's also kind of femme-coded and therefore mockable. We've already <laughs> hit up on fencing, so... Oh, fencing comes back. Which is really funny because Michael Rosenbaum super did really play hockey while they were filming this. They played against the Stargate crew. Yep. You can... That's adorable. Yeah, there's a, a featurette on one of my Stargate DVDs that has all this behind-the-scenes stuff that Michael Shanks, um, the guy who plays uh, Daniel Jackson, just shot around set. And you can clearly see them playing, facing off against 
the Smallville crew. Like That's they have precious. little Smallville shirts and everything. This is good. Is this this is a Queen of the Damned thing where the blooper reel is much better than the actual finished project. <laughs> this wasn't even their blooper reel, but yes, the blooper reel for this is great. <laughs> Oh, I wouldn't know how good the blooper reel is because you don't get the blooper reel unless you buy the everything combined together set. Yes, I have not paid for that, but people have uploaded bloopers to YouTube in the past. Shocking. <laughs> I'm so shocked. <laughs> At least you seemed excited about the next set of episodes. So that's something. Well, yeah, I think there's some fun stuff in there. I have heard you talk um, about episode eight before, so. Yeah, next one up is Jitters. Yay. Yeah. You know Jitters, right, Sean? I don't remember the titles of any of the episodes. Well, how could you not? They're so memorable. Jitters is the one where the guy is shaky. Oh, that one. Yeah, that one actually is a really good one. I mean, if it's as good as Hothead, I'll be happy again. <laughs> it's just so fucking sad that that's my bar for the show. The bar is very fucking low. <laughs> and the fact that these episodes could not meet it except for, for what would we call that, one-sixth one sixth of the runtime? <laughs> And these are the early good seasons, you say? Uh-huh. <laughs> oh, dear. Oh, yeah. The buy-in was hard. Oh, dear. I guess there wasn't as much on <laughs> at the time. <laughs> you know what to say. It's, it's okay. Channels. Later seasons do have some seriously extra bullshit. Ah, uh, if we make that. We'll see. Given. We'll see if we get there. <laughs> we have to get there. We're the internet's only Smallville podcast. That's true. Who else besides us is covering Smallville? No one. We're the only ones. And we're sorry to keep you waiting so long between episodes, listeners. But honestly, it is uh, it's really nice that y'all enjoy when these come out. And as always, we really like hearing your feedback since this is a bit of a departure from our other style of shows. Yeah. And uh, speaking of feedback. Ah, uh, yes. Go on. We recently received an email. That's true. This is the first time we've gotten an email. By the way, listeners, you can email at us at uh, trashtreasurespod at gmail.com. Yeah. So we got an email from John Paul Thottom. Did they give us the okay to use their name? Uh, considering the content of the email, I see no problem. We'll be polite. We uh, received an email from somebody who appears to be using the real their real name. I'm just going to use initials jp mm -hmm. who said hi there first of all i love the podcast y'all oh. are just great thank you my heart i was wondering if you would be interesting in taking a look at the recent critical darling parasite to me the film has a very cynical shallow framing of poor people and is not nearly as interesting as the media are making it out to be I think there's a lot to dissect about portrayals of the poor, class system dynamics, nihilism, and what, if any, actual commentary the movie successfully makes about capitalism. There's also quite a bit of campy trash in this film that I bet will make you either eye-roll or lol. Thanks. Thank you, JP. Aw. We really appreciate that. We like getting emails. Yes. Letters. Uh, I don't think Parasite will be on the show, though. Yeah, probably not, um, just because, as you've probably noticed, we we usually don't go for recent releases. It's just not uh, where where our minds tend to go. Mm -hmm. It's not, yeah, it's because the, co the conversation is decidedly happening already. Yeah. Um, and, and our show is more for either shit that 
is weird and old and forgotten, or if it was something that was popularly talked about, it's been a minute. Yeah, I mean, I think the most recent thing that we've ever looked at was when we talked about uh, Last Christmas, but mm. that was a pretty shallow look. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and also and it was a particularly because so was talking that about will it. be forgotten immediately. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> nice film. It was a nice film. Will be immediately forgotten. Uh-huh. So I don't think we'll be looking at that. If I would also throw out that if if Parasite seems um blunt, I I'm not attempting to discredit your take or anything, but I will just say that um Bong Joon Ho tends to have a very sort of 1970s sci-fi style about things where his metaphors are extremely direct and extremely straightforward and there's not a lot of nuance. You are a, uh, uh, a considerable fan of Snowpiercer, yes? Yes. I was about to say, are you saying Snowpiercer isn't subtle? <laughs> neither of you can, n- neither of you have seen The Host, which is still the only Bong Joon-ho film I've seen, very sadly to me. <laughs> but that's not a subtle film either. It's a delightful film, but it's not subtle. Yeah. So a lot of the times his depictions are not I'm not saying lacking in nuance, but nuance isn't what he's going for. He's going for a more ideologic. Right, it's that very delivery. late 20th century sci-fi thing of here's here's the thing, fucker. Have you like here's the fucking metaphor. Like like they live. Have you ever seen They Live? It's as subtle as a hammer to the fucking face and it's amazing. Mhm. Yeah. So I mean, I think that might also be a stylistic thing. So yeah, it's just it's somewhat unlikely that we'll watch that for the show just because it doesn't necessarily fall into our wheelhouse. We also kind of have, we, we do foreign films sometimes on this podcast, but we kind of have a low key rule that if we don't really like a foreign film, we're more likely to just not talk about it because we don't really have the wherewithal to get into the deeper workings of it and the context and stuff. Yeah. Cultural context can be very important, especially with, you know, social commentary mm-hmm. or, same. However, mm-hmm. if somebody really did want to, us to talk about something they're interested in, that is an option on our Patreon. It's true. You, there is uh, the ability to commission an episode. So, if you still, after all of these caveats, desperately wanted us to talk about it, that option is out there. <laughs> we are mercenaries. Well, yeah, we're making a podcast. <laughs> what are you talking about? I'm sorry, do mercenaries routinely go to war and fight for, like, two years? And then ask if anybody toss them a coin? No, that's more of a Witcher thing. Right? (laughs) Playing the long game. (laughs) For very specific, extremely useful services. So thank you so much for writing in, JP. We really appreciate it. Mm -hmm. Warm fuzzies. And like I said, if if y'all would like to write in and talk to us... uh, it's trash treasures pod at gmail.com or if you want to get a hold of us on social media we are on tumblr at trash and treasures we're on twitter at trash pod and we also have our patreon as mentioned where we love to get comments and can reply to folks a little more easily and in depth than on twitter uh, it's patreon.com slash trash and treasures which in addition to early access and Dorothy's recipe book for Drunk Book Club also has a monthly bonus episode, which is starting to accrue some pretty neat stuff, I think, at this point. (laughs) It's certainly a variety. (laughs) If you want to hear us dunk on James Franco, it's the place you want to be. 
Sean is now As angry. if that's something that's going to be exclusively limited to bonus content. Sean is now angry he's been deprived of the opportunity to dunk on James Franco. There will be others. As always, it's tough to say when there will be another one of these. Again, it kind of comes into our schedule when a hole unexpectedly happens um, and another movie falls through. Um, but as always... We love to hear back from you, and we love to scream to the sky about this kind of terrible, fascinating garbage show with you. So thanks for joining us again, and until next time, go Crows! Go Crows! Yay.